Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson. I'm the CEO of M. Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. Twice a month, we're producing this video show and podcast streaming live to you on LinkedIn and IDG's Tech Talk channel on YouTube. Today's episode is sponsored by Tableau, the global leader in analytics. Tableau offers an enterprise-ready platform to empower everyone across the organization with trusted and governed data, on-premise or in the cloud. Tab Tableau also integrates with existing technology investments and scales with you as your data environment evolves and matures. You can discover more at tableau.com CIO. We welcome all of our viewers today to join in this conversation with questions of your own. We'll be watching for those and doing our best to pass them along to today's guest, who I'm very pleased to say and to introduce is Tony Caesar. He is the head of IT for Ericsson's Market Area North America. He's based in Plano, Texas, and Tony's in charge of Ericsson's enterprise IT environment across all of the US and Canada taking care of all the existing infrastructure and rolling out new technologies to more than 10,000 employees. Ericsson, as many of you no doubt know, is a $28 billion global provider of 5G infrastructure products and services across more than 40 countries, and the U.S. is its largest market. Tony joined Ericsson in 2018 bringing with him three decades of technology leadership experience in national and global IT organizations across many different industries, including information and communications technology, banking, consumer products, manufacturing, and distribution. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to have you here. MF, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's a pleasure. And to hear you recant my, 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 my experience, I didn't realize I was that old, right? 30 years or plus of experience. Uh, maybe we're setting the bar of expectations really high with the audience here today, but uh, yeah, well. I promise to give them the best I can because I, I am 30 years plus in, in this role across my, my career. Uh, and I've had the pleasure of serving under a lot of different leaders and a lot of different organizations. So hopefully we can talk about some of those things today. I am sure we are going to talk about those, and I feel like you must be fishing for compliments because this is the moment where I say, no, you can't have had three more, three decades of experience. Well, I told you my secret is to just say 25 plus years. <laughs> I want to steal that going forward. So Yeah. Well, let's start out and talk about, it's kind of, it's so much of our lives these days because we're all living through the realities of the ongoing disruption and all the the um, problems and the challenges that the pandemic has brought into our lives over the last 18 months. Um, and that has certainly accelerated a topic that I know Erickson has a lot to say about, and you have talked about a lot in the past, about moving us into the virtual workplace of the future, how in many ways it, it reminds me of that um, science fiction writer who said that the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed. So uh, tell, give us your kind of point of view on that virtual workplace of the future and how much of it has really arrived, both for Ericsson and for uh, the stakeholders that you work with. Yeah, well, listen, um, the, the pandemic, talk about a disruptor, had dis has disrupted 
globally, all of our operations, mm -hmm. where traditionally we were all used to sitting within our four walls of our offices or our buildings and providing compute services to our users. It's everything from the traditional infrastructure services, client services, as well as you know all the big end uh, ERP and all the other things that we know are very common in our organizations today. The pandemic hits and now we're all forced to send our workers to work from home. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies were not prepared for that, right? Because many folks, even the basic computer, were, were still workstations sitting on people's desks or under people's desks. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of figure out how do you how do you kind of cross that bridge and get people now the capability to be able to operate at home. Yeah. Uh, so I think we, Ericsson, were way ahead of the curve on that. And I don't know if we look at our global CIO maybe five or six years ago who made the decision to say, we're not going to be a desktop company anymore. Everyone was going to have a laptop, regardless of your job. Maybe he had a, a crystal ball and he knew that, you know, something bad would happen one day. We would all have to basically pivot overnight and start working from home. So I think from a from a equipment perspective, we were prepared because our our team members immediately were able to go go working from to home. Also, um, a lot of us had embedded. Uh, uh, applications, VPN applications that automatically connected our laptops, mm -hmm. our computers, the backend working station. So that problem was not, was a non-issue for us. Um, where we encountered issues, and I'm sure many of our, our viewers may have also encountered issues, is that team members' home internets were not work ready, right? They were maybe okay to go home after a couple hours worth of work, but when mm -hmm. you're all day, every day, you know, and you know, you've shifted that workforce, uh, that workload to home. Uh, we found that a lot of our users across the globe did not have the home infrastructure prepared mm -hmm. to support them working from home. So that was a whole new issue from a, an IT perspective because the expectation is from the business, hey, it's connectivity, it's it's a, it's a problem. IT, you guys have to solve this, right? You have to solve the home connectivity issue for our end users, which if you think about, we're 80 countries or actually 140 countries that's almost an impossible task to ask right because every country is, doesn't have the same setup so as we started bridging those gaps and addressing people's connectivity issues the next the next problem we were faced with was okay so now you're working from home and we found that there are a lot of people that were working on their kitchen tables working on their dining room tables working in their bedrooms right and, and again was it conducive also now we we talk about how do you bridge uh, to keep people engaged while we have these tools. We'll be using Zoom today. Uh, mm -hmm. We're a Microsoft shop, so we were using Microsoft Teams. And, and now, how do you get people of appropriate equipment to, to do video, to good, good audio? Just as an example, you know, we, before this call, we were testing our audio to make sure that when we have this call with you uh, yeah. today, that it, the audio comes across right. So you imagine a conference call with 15, 20 people, and someone's using their computer microphone and their computer speaker, and you're getting feedback or you're getting kind of echoes. So we had all these issues to try to kind of resolve and, and how we addressed 100,000 employees across the globe. It was almost uh, in, in, impressive, I would say. Mm -hmm. I wish I could take credit for all of the work because uh, mm -hmm. I just oversee North America, but our global teams really put a lot of effort into ensuring that uh, we not only got the right devices into the hands of our users, we made it easy for people who were working from home to get the appropriate devices. We even extended things to giving people office furniture or allowing them to purchase desks at home. And again, mm -hmm. as an IT person, you're on oh, desk. That, what does that have to do with IT? It had to do with our, our, our stakeholders, our, our users. 
to create a comfortable environment for them to, at home so they can continue to be productive. And I think if we look back at 2020, we had one of our most stellar years as a company. Uh, yep. We exceeded all of our, our goals as an organization, as well as an IT organization. So uh, we've, we've managed to, uh, let's say, sidestep the, the pandemic and, and continue to be prosperous through that time. Mm -hmm. Well, and you made the point when we were talking earlier that Ericsson is unlike any company you have worked for before, not just in the scale and the size of it around the world, but the fact that it's a company full of engineers, you know, a lot of networking engineers. But I, I imagine some of our listeners are probably thinking, wow, you know, if Ericsson had the same kind of scramble to make this work that everybody did, uh, it's almost a little unexpected. Um, now, the when we talked earlier also, we talked about how disruption, often we do start talking about how did we all manage to work, but you also switch very quickly to talking about the people focus and the impact on how everybody was doing. And I've had so many more of those conversations with CIOs where we're talking about the new E word, the empathy word, you know, where we, we find out so much about what everybody's doing. Um, talk about some of the ways that as a leader, you had to change your style as you were dealing with your very far I know that IT has about 2000 people globally for Ericsson, but those are not all North America. So no, no, yeah. no. Yes. You know, my, my team in, in North America is it's just a percentage of that entire 2000 uh, over the globe. But mm -hmm. we all face the same problems. Um, and, and those of us, especially me, who are may, maybe a little bit more old school, that mm -hmm. I think really thrive on that face-to-face, -face, right? We, we, we're used to being in the same space, being in the office, being able to get mm -hmm. facial expressions and look across the table and see how people are feeling. And, you know, you'll be able to exude some empathy when someone's sitting in front of you and you know that they're sad or something's going on with them. Now, yeah. how do you do that and, 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 and carry that forward in the digital world? Mm -hmm. It was very difficult, right? One, uh, the biggest issue I think we faced was the fact that people were not comfortable with turning on their videos. And there was a myriad of reasons, right? One, let's say before the advent of backgrounds, because you remember when we just went into the pandemic, uh, yeah. All of the various uh, uh, platforms didn't have blurring or video backgrounds, right? So wherever, whatever room you were in, that was on display. Yeah. Uh, and people were very uncomfortable with that. There were other people who were just not comfortable with the camera, you know, and seeing themselves in the camera. So, you know, you have to bridge that. You have to first create a, a layer of comfort so people understood that, hey, you know, I'm turning on my video and I want you to turn on your video. So how do I, how did I break that? Mm -hmm. I used to get on all calls very casually. I would get on calls with t-shirts, right? Mm -hmm. I, and with logos, yeah, yeah. Things, things to show them that, look, even your leader is comfortable that comes on these calls in his t-shirt and I'm not made up and I'm ready to have a call with you. So I don't care what you look like. I don't care if your mm -hmm. hair is made up. Uh, I, and there were even times where, because uh, I have a, a couple, I have a, I have an office uh, where my wife also works from home. So I couldn't move into her office. So yeah. I've, take up one of our other rooms and and you know I've unblurred my video so people knew that look it's oh. okay it's yeah. okay and, and and I think over the first six or eight weeks we gradually started getting people more and more comfortable with with engaging via video and I will tell you what Mary Fran it was amazing how the team really started to gel and here was one thing that we did not expect that was a big benefit 
we had a lot of workers that worked remotely anyway, right? But before the pandemic, they were in different states, different locations. And they've always said that they felt like they weren't part of the team. Now, when all of us want video, you can't imagine the amount of people that have reached out and said, I love this. We're all the same. I feel we're all equal and everyone- level playing field, the level playing field impact. Yeah. I don't feel like a different anymore. So, you know, it's actually played to some good. We've even seen some introverts that in the office were very, very closed and, and didn't, you know, share ideas. And now in this world of, of, of post, you know, pandemic and using these things, they've turned into excellent people. Like you didn't even know they had it in them. They have all these ideas and they feel comfortable now because the playing field is level and they're sharing it. So, you know, there's been some good. There's been yeah. some good. Well, and I know I was, as I mentioned, I was just yesterday, uh, we had you on another IDG event, the CIO Future of Work Summit, and you were being interviewed by my good friend, Julia King. And I know you were talking about um, that, um, that, that concern that people had that, you know, you've hired hundreds of people through the pandemic. And then there is that concern. I've never met this guy face to face. How is he going to know that I'm, you know, worth, uh, in, how am I going to get promoted in the IT organization? Tell me how um, Ericsson, how Ericsson's culture has encouraged that to be something people can kind of openly talk about. How do you deal with that as the CIO? Well, I can tell you one of the greatest things about Ericsson is it's focused on its employees. Uh, it is so culture, employee culture focused uh, in terms of making sure that employees are comfortable. They feel that they're in an environment to thrive and grow. Uh, and they give us a lot of and leaders. They give us enough latitude to, to kind of create our own spaces within our organizations. Uh, we have what we call um, uh, Ericsson on the move. And out of the Ericsson on the move, there are some five focus areas for one is uh, executing speedily. Uh, it's a speak up environment. That's really one of our big things. Mm -hmm. uh, exhibiting humanness and empathy, uh, collaboration and cooperation, and courageous fact-based fact decision-making. Those five core elements that are drilled into us, and we now really believe in it, and we turn that around to our employees. So imagine you're a new, you're a new hire. You're being hired virtually. You've never met your manager in person. You are you were interviewed on camera, you were hired on camera from camera, and your first day of work is at a laptop in your house on camera, right? right? So you have no connectivity to anyone in your organization. So how do I know if I'm growing? How do I know if I'm doing well, right? What we've managed to do is we've now put more, more emphasis on what we call one-on-ones mm -hmm. uh, today than we ever had when we were in the office. We spend more time, at least as leaders, with one-on-ones with our, with our direct reports on a more frequent basis as a way to keep touch points. We've yeah. even started programs like, uh, we call them virtual coffees, mm -hmm. right? Where we randomly have virtual coffees and, hey, show up if you can, right? Lots of virtual coffees, people show up. And we use that time to, to talk to each other, to collaborate on what's going on. Uh, and then also from a uh, growth perspective, I think it's very clear that in this new way of working, and in Ericsson, we have this term way of working, yeah, uh, really talks mm -hmm. about how we operate as an organization. Um, our way of working is, look, we don't manage people by time anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not about, hey, you're supposed to work eight to five or nine to five, whatever it is. We mm -hmm. know that you're home and there are other things that are going on and we really try to emphasize work-life balance. So we look at results, right? Mm -hmm. What are you producing? What are the things that you are supposed to do and are you 
hitting your results? Are you hitting your mark? So it's no no longer about clocking hours because no one clocks in and clocks out anyway, but it's not about clocking hours. It's mm -hmm. about clocking results. So even as a new hire, you very quickly learn that, hey, my value is what I deliver, right? So I, it doesn't matter that I'm not in the office. I'm being measured on my deliverables. And as long as I continue to deliver, I'm in good standing with everyone. So that's some of the things that we've done that's worked for us. Well, and I know that a, a new, and this is kind of a problem with air quotes around it for many CIOs, is feeling like they have to pay special attention to people that are getting all out of balance on work-life balance. You know, it just, it used to be if you were the first one in the office and the last one to leave, you were the hardest worker. Now we, you know, as managers and leaders, you get a little bit concerned when you find out somebody's online 20 hours a day. You know, it's like, how have you handled that? Do you do that? Do you get, do you get them on the phone and say, you need a few days off, we'll see you on Wednesday? Uh, <laughs> did you ever think you'd be doing that with your IT team? Yeah, you know, it, there, there's a point where I think we all, and I'm guilty of it too, right? Because <laughs> now, uh, once upon a time, you rolled out of bed, you had to get yourself ready, you had to get yourself dressed, mm -hmm. right? You had to get in a car or whatever your means of transportation to go to the office. Some of us had shorter uh, uh, times, chance of times, and some had longer commute times. Yeah. But you, you were always conscious of, hey, if I don't leave the office by this time, I'm going to be stuck in traffic for another three hours or two hours. So there were motivating factors to get you out of the office at a decent time, as well as there were extenuating circumstances that meant that you weren't going to jump on a call as soon as you rolled out of bed in the morning at 6 a.m. Right. Now, those barriers are gone. Those guardrails are not there. And you, I have people, especially because we work for a global company, we have yeah. people that send us meeting requests for 3 a.m. in the morning, 4 a.m. in the morning, and they expect you to be on these calls. Right? So we have calls 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, and because we, we have followed the clock, we can be on the phone at 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. So some people could be logging 15, 16-hour days very yeah. easily. And I can tell you, I, in the very beginning, I felt prey to that, right? Because you felt that you were obligated to be on every yeah. call, every meeting. I made it clear, probably I would say two months into my team, no more, right? No more 3 a.m. calls. Good for you. <laughs> they could send as many 6 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. calls. They could have them recorded because we can record it and you'll look at it later yeah. on, right? And I expect that a certain hour, you guys, you make the decision how your work-life balance needs to be. Hey, if, if you have a kid or you want to do homework, because you remember last year, a lot of kids were, parents had to work or take their kids. They had yeah. younger kids that they had to do education. Hey, yep. you know, you need to take three hours during the middle of the day to educate and do homework with your kid. Mm -hmm. Do it. Right. Yep. Well, we we've got and we've been talking about all of this communication that, of course, is going on now. And we have a question from our avid avid viewers there on LinkedIn. Um, how has the current environment affected your corporate Internet services usage? Has it increased that throughput or decreased it due to all the remote workers? I know you mentioned the VPN and a lot of upgrades you had to do. So what, what can you tell us about that, how that was impacted? That's a great, great question. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll give you some insight. Uh, it did not affect our corporate internet usage. And you might ask why. Because we had made the move quite a few years ago to start moving a lot of our infrastructure to the cloud. Okay. So in, in reality, the only internet usage is your internet that you're connecting to the cloud and you're getting, getting access to all of our cloud services. 
uh, you know, it's not proprietary, you know, Office 365, which many of you probably Office 365 uh, subscribers, mm -hmm. we, we get most of our email and our teams and all those other things. That's the core of a lot of traffic, right? And that's, that's not going back into the corporate backend system. Um, so in terms of our intranet usage, I would say not much more than normal. Uh, if you need services that are on our backend network, obviously you do have to come in over the public internet to get access to our backend network. But we didn't see quite a huge impact uh, on our backend services. Now, what might be interesting going forward is out of this whole pandemic, and as we continue to move more of our workloads to the internet, and more people are going to work from home because we we really uh, acknowledge that post the pandemic we will not go back to work the same way we were pre-pandemic. Meaning mm -hmm. that today, pre-pandemic, 80, 90% of our people were in the office five days a week. Right. Uh, we recognize that post-pandemic, that number is gonna drop significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're anticipating maybe on average, there may be 40% of the people that might be 30% every day, but there's gonna be some mix where more people are gonna be doing two or three days at home, and two and three days in the office. So there's gonna be a shift there, right? And yeah. we're not gonna be in a position where we need, let's say all these corporate circuits anymore because why? People are gonna be spending more time working from home, right? So our focus is gonna to have to be, what is your home experience like? What is your home connectivity experience like? Because that's where you're gonna be doing most of your data consumption. So it's, it's actually a shift right now. And I think the pandemic has exposed that really. Yes. Well, and we were talking earlier, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about the incredibly accelerated attention of the to the role of the CIO that had. And of course, you know, we were both kind of joking that this has been going on for 10 years. And, you know, there are a lot of CIOs that are leading the way with that, uh, including yourself. And when I think about all of the uh, focus that there has been on the providing of technology and the digital transformation, it was often focused externally. And what I, what I see a lot more of now, and maybe I'm just noticing it more, is that companies are paying a whole lot more attention to the employee experience, to upgrade, to making sure that employees have the same kind of great tools that maybe your company is providing through its digital and, and website offerings and so forth. Um, and that idea that we're not gonna go back to the way we were, that keeps turning up in a lot of the surveys out there. Uh, I wonder how much of that is a moment in time. You can't imagine looking five years ahead and people back five days a week in the office. Is that truly a permanent change? When was the last time in a workplace we had a change that big? And I'm thinking it might be the advent of email and how we all started communicating by email. Do you think, is this that kind of a titanic shift? I would, I would say yes, because who in their lifetime would think that we would have an event such as this pandemic that would disrupt the globe, the entire yeah. globe, right? Yeah. I, I never in my life imagined that, and I can tell you when, when this whole thing started, I have the date, March, the, uh, the 12th, March 12th was the day that we told our employees, you're going to work from home. And I just kept thinking, oh, this is two weeks, max. Two weeks, we're all going to be back in the office. Maybe a month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then two weeks to four weeks to six weeks to six months, eight months to a year. Yeah. Who would have thought that, right? So I, I really believe that 
that we as organizations, especially if you focus just on IT, we as IT, just both from the vendors, the, the product providers, as well as us, we've accelerated so much in the last year. Uh, product makers have accelerated their platforms so much in the last year. We as IT leaders have brought so much more digitization and automation to our internal operations in the last year, not because we wanted to, but because we had to, right? Yeah. We were forced to be super agile, right? And start to really look at, all right, the days of this long eight, nine year you know, months to, to, to roll out something, we were doing it in weeks now because we had to, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at all that swift change and you see where people are now comfortable, that's the key. Yeah. And, they're comfortable working from home and they're productive. Mm -hmm. It makes it very difficult to think that we're going to find a way to flip that switch back to post-pandemic ways of working because people won't, I don't think people are going to allow it. I, I extend that one more, one more thing and you didn't ask, but think about this. We're even now considering hiring people that are out of state without making them reload. Well, in the past, we say, "Hey, you know what? I got you. Got to reload. You got to." Yeah. Now, the, the, you know, when you start looking at people, it, it, you don't have this. You don't have a reload budget. You don't even think about that because, hey, that person works as long as they're in the time zone, more or less. You hire them because you've already proven in the last year and a half that they can be productive. They yeah. can lead leaders that lead teams of people that have, that have been new hires and never met their teams, and they're leading their teams today in this virtual world. So, yeah. I believe those tectonic uh, changes in, in, in our, in our uh, lifestyle, life plan, excuse me, that will never go back. I, I really mm -hmm. think so. Of course, and we're, of course, this is, you know, the, our, our show where uh, this gets recorded, this will live on the internet and on CIO.com hopefully forever. So we may have to dial back in five years and say, okay, he said right now, stake in the ground. <laughs> I was talking to another CIO the other day. It was uh, he was saying how he's you know, they're doing a lot of digital transformation. He said, "I have guaranteed my my CEO that we are never going to have a cyber event that puts us on the front page of the Wall Street Journal." And I immediately felt a clutch of anxiety <laughs> that when you say when you say never in that 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 kind of approach. One of the things that um, you were talking about on that uh, the future of. Um, uh, the Future of Work Summit, where you were talking with my friend Julia, um, that commute time that everybody has saved. Uh, tell me from a leadership standpoint, what have you tried to do with that to change the way you work, say with your business colleagues? Um, because you are, you're very well known as someone who's a very business strategy thinking. And I think you were making the point that a lot of CIOs really dove in and came to the rescue, but it was a lot of tactical technical things that they got to do. Now that all the tactical and the technical is kind of set up and working well, the strategic, strategic aspects of what happens with your business, how do you make sure that you keep as firm a grip on that? How are you working differently with your business colleagues? Well, I can tell you, um, time commute aside, um, mm -hmm. I think before the, the pandemic, um, I've always been the kind of leader that was focused on, on the strategic side of our operations. Yep. Mm -hmm. right? I've always worked with uh, the business to try to find out, you know, what are the things we can do to, to improve your operations, improve your delivery to, to, uh, to your customers, right? So everything from how, what are we doing to help grow the business or how, what are we doing to take costs out of the business, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we had a tons of projects on the way around either whether it's cloud migration initiatives in place or we had several other things where we're kind of reducing footprints in data centers and some of the things like that would enhance our, our customer customers uh, environments also as we were bringing automation to the to the table uh, we have from a group level uh, an IT modernization program in place where we're looking to modernize IT but me personally the pandemic hasn't changed how I interact with my business stakeholders yes there were tactical things that we had to do real time to address the needs just to get people to be able to function adequately from home but yeah. we were still engaged with our with our key stakeholders right I have a group that their total focus is business engagement, right? And we are focused on making sure that we connect with all the key leaders within the organization. We have regular routine meetings with them. We have regular QBRs, which many of you out there probably have with your leadership team, where you have QBRs with your, with your leadership team, and you're always making sure that your activities, our activities are aligned with the goals of the business, right? So the days of, of and as I mentioned to you, I think last week, the days of CIO with just worrying about infrastructure and servers and routers and switches. That's so long ago, right? Because that probably not even working today, right? That you have to be considered part of the business, right? And helping them change and transform. So we have a lot of transformation uh, uh, activities underway. You know, I, I have to be careful. My, my media people always say, don't, don't divulge too much. So I want to be. Uh, well, I have a whole, I got a whole bunch of questions I do want to ask about that. But before we leave the topic of employees, we had a question from our audience about um, how have you offered support to remote workers in terms of uh, their increased costs of working from home, such as upgrading their home internet to cope with the work from home uh, workloads or increasing their utility usage and that sort of thing. So if you can share a few details about, you know, we've talked about what a great company culture Ericsson has. Um, do you do that sort of stuff? Changing enough, um, specifically with the internet thing, we looked at it. Um, I imagine if we were just looking at North America, you know, that's roughly... 10,000, 9,000 employees. Uh, when you look at it globally, you've got 100 plus thousand employees. Uh, and we actually ran the cost model, right? Of, oh. of what the average cost was. So we actually did an exercise mm -hmm. to see what it would be. And, and you could imagine the cost was absorbent. I mean, just mm -hmm. unimaginable. Um, so what we focused on were the things that were probably more lonely hanging fruit that we had control over, easy to can do. Uh, like desks, right? We we made it easy for you to go to IKEA uh, and order uh, desks, right? So you yeah. can desk, and and we made it easy for you to have equipment at home. So you can go and order a monitor. You can go in the office and you can borrow your monitor. We we made it easy for you to to be able to get peripherals like keyboards and mice and and, and cameras, right? Such that it, where it would be hard in the past, you would basically put an order process in our system where you go and you order and you get it delivered to your home. Right. So we did a lot of different things to make the employees home experience better again, but it really was, I think the internet was the only thing that we really didn't go in that way or okay. pay their utility bills because the other side of the equation was, Hey, you're not, you're not commuting anymore, right? You're not taking your clothes to the laundry every week. Like some of us may have been doing, right? Okay. So you really, you did that, you did that exercise and, it's not surprising that it was exorbitantly expensive, I guess, right? Well, and 
I think our, our viewers are not ready to let go of this topic yet. I have another question asking about your thoughts in terms of long-term impact of remote workers not having a face-to-face -face rapport building advantage in formal team building. And I know we've mentioned a number of things that you do, but have you done any studies on that or anything like, you know, because we've been doing this now for a year and a half. So what do you think is working really well? Right now, again, it's working well because we're all on the same playing field. But ah. I have this total like data that says when we do go back in the office, that mm -hmm. one thing that might happen is people that routinely come back in the office may start to get favor. That's right. Because right? yeah. you're there, right? And it's, it's easy when I can turn to my left and turn to my right and you're right there yeah. versus I've got to go spin up a video call to call you, right? Mm -hmm. But I think we don't know yet, Mary my friend, we don't know, we, and we won't know until the, the switch is flipped and, and we all do decide to start going back into, to, into the offices. But I think there is an upside to the audience. The upside is that you're not alone, right? Your company is not the only company that's going to be experiencing this. Right. We're all going to be in the same boat at the same time, right? Yeah. The same way when the pandemic hit, we all had to pivot overnight and figure out how to be successful. And we mm -hmm. all kind of uh, I said, steal with pride from each other when, when we found that someone's doing one thing good and someone's, you know, I want to apply that to my organization. I think we'll have those same opportunities because we just don't know. And I, I wish I could tell you that we have studies. What, what we have done is we looked at how we're going to revamp the office space, yeah. right, to make it more conducive to what we call, uh, we created personas, right? And the personas were people that are going to not be in the office all day that are gonna come in for meetings or you need more meeting space or collaboration spaces, right? So uh, I think gone are the days of dedicated offices, uh, that much I can tell you, because we really shied away from offices in America today anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. It was more open seating, open spaces, regardless of your title, right? Yeah. There was this, this is the idea of leaders should be in the middle with their people, right? We should all be in the same space. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're now looking at how do you take some of that space and, and customize it to now uh, accommodate the, the virtual workforce that may drop in and drop out. So those are yeah. some of the things that we were planning for. But to that person's question, I don't really have the answer to that one. I think we'll have well, to see. And I actually think that was a very great answer because you're just honest. You know, you're like, well, I will see. You know, I actually don't know. Well, let me... Um, let me pivot now uh, to talking a little bit more about some of those big business and tech initiatives that you have coming for the next year or two. I know that you've got several major software initiatives underway. You're doing a lot of ERP modernization. Um, Ericsson does acquisitions and, and so forth. So tell me about what, and I think you mentioned to me that you want to be 80% in the cloud within the next two years, did you say? All right. So, by 2025, tell tell us about some of the big business and tech initiatives. And I always hate to, I don't even like to call them tech initiatives anymore because they're always business initiatives that are enabled and fueled by tech. So what is uppermost in your mind when you're thinking about running that enormous organization across the US and Canada? I'd have to uh, answer on behalf of, of our CEO, excuse me, our CIO, uh, Matt's whole team, who's headquartered out of, uh, out of Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, he has a vision of modernizing our entire IT organization. Uh, it's called an IT modernization program where we're looking at all of the traditional IT 
services and solutions that we offer and we're trying to bring them into the, the modern the modern agency or the 20th century so to speak so one of the things you and i spoke about is our our cloud migration modernization program where we're looking at what you guys would think of as traditional legacy applications that run either in data centers or run in your respective uh, it shops and, and moving those things into into the cloud right and looking at more what we call uh, consumable based applications where the gone are the days of the big giant ERPs, right? And yeah, we're, it's known that we are an SAP shop um, that, that runs our backend systems, but SAP is one of a myriad of systems that we use, right? And, and, and in my old life, I remembered, um, you know, I, I led organ IT organizations that were at SAP shop and that's all we spoke about was our SAP environment, right? Whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, yeah. In, in Ericsson, it's it's just one of many things that we speak about. It's not the it's not the prevailing topic that gets all of our the, you know our attention, so to speak. I can't go deep into what our plans are for SAP. Um, we are we're 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 thinking about some things, right? So they're yep. considering what what they want to do with that that overall platform. Uh, we have a, a lot of projects around um, what we call lighthouses that are focused on uh, enhancing our customers' experience. Right, okay. so there's a lot of digitization uh, uh, activities on on the way. Where our supply chain, as an example, right, we're adding a lot more automation and digitization to our supply chain mm -hmm. uh, internally. Um, in terms of IT services, we've put now a lot of bots uh, in place of humans, right, where we're trying to facilitate getting people answers much quicker than yeah. having to go through the, the, the service desk and waiting and waiting. So we have a lot of bots now in place where you can go in chat box, you type in a problem and it'll either give you an answer or, or, or send you to somewhere where you can get an answer. So we're doing a lot of things. Some are major and some are a little bit smaller. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we have now experimenting in, in my group. I can tell you this because one thing about Ericsson, all these engineers, it breeds uh, an environment of innovation and ideation, right? Yeah. So a lot of people, that are way smarter than I ever was. They just come up with all these ideas. And even within my team, you know, they say being around these folks makes you better. So my team now are also starting to innovate. And we even have one of our service desk techs, service desk tech came up with this brilliant idea to create an app that a user can screenshot a problem and submit it through this app and have backend AI and ML figure out how to resolve the problem automatically for the user and send them back and get, send them back an answer. That so is, that, that is, is really cool. that, <laughs> that came from a service tech. So yeah. we, that was such a great idea. We jumped on it. We're yeah. funding it, right? And we're, and we're building it. I remember a story like that uh, some years ago from a CIO who uh, we were talking about cybersecurity and it was a team in South America and they were dealing with that um, anonymous hacker group and they were doing some brainstorming, a bunch of people standing around and they had an intern, a 22 year old, 21 year old kid who was part of the discussion. And at one point he piped up and said, well, why don't why don't I just join and I'll ask these questions and find out. And everybody was at first a little horrified. What? You mean go sign up and join? And then they thought, well, yeah, we can infiltrate. You know, it was just, and it came from, you know, a 21 year old that everyone, nobody really expected them to have, you know, a solution ready to go. But one of the um, 
uh, kind of business funded services you and I discussed that I think is very much in keeping with what we've been talking about was the U.S. Smart Factory. You've got the first fully automated factory there in Texas where you're building radios and using uh, the robotics and all that. Talk a little bit about that. Is that something that has happened under your watch? That is uh, probably that's our crown jewel right now. Oh, uh, our, our smart factory. Uh, mm -hmm. We were we were fortunate um, back in 2018 when they decided to build this factory uh, and they selected uh, a site here in, in, in Louisville, Texas, which is mm -hmm. probably you know 20 minutes away from our main office to build this factory. So I got the the honor of seeing this thing go from dirt to now this <laughs> amazing facility that has robotics, uh, AI, it's got sensors. The, the, the lines are fully automated. It, it's, it's amazing when you see this thing and to see it being built from the ground from scratch to where it is today. Uh, one thing that from an IT perspective, the value proposition was um, we, that, that facility is owned by our, our supply, supply chain, supply group, right? Because they're, they're actually manufacturing radios that we ultimately sell and deliver to our customers. Mm -hmm. um, they need an IT operations. They need it. They need IT to manage that full facility end to end. And typically in our organization, these businesses, because we are a technology company, businesses haven't been known to spin up their own IT within our organization. So you have enterprise IT, but then you have business focused IT where they've got their IT that just focuses on their areas. Yeah. Uh, we were able to convince them to, uh, let's say, allow us to, to manage that IT on their behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we hired up our own group, uh, some, someone under my leader. Uh, and now we run the IT operations for that smart factory. And as a matter of fact, uh, I have not been there in probably a year because when COVID hit, we had to put some really strict rules and regulations about who goes to the factory. Yes. That couldn't, they could not shut down. They have to keep working. That's right. Uh, so mask mandates, and you've got to get pre-approval before you go down. Mm -hmm. You have to have to have a reason to go. So I haven't been there for a year, but I'm going tomorrow for the first time in a year uh, mm -hmm. to visit my team. Many of which I've only met virtually. I've not seen them in person because they were all hired during the pandemic. Uh, so I'll spend the day down in the factory tomorrow. It's it's an amazing facility. Uh, yeah. It's most all of the newest technology you could think of. Uh, we've got mm -hmm. sensors in the floor. We've got robots moving around that are moving product from stations to stations. Uh, it's we, we've got 5G in the in the factory as well. Yeah. Uh, that's it's an amazing facility. Absolutely. Well, and it's probably going to be all the more dazzling because it will be something that you haven't been able to do for a year. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, there is that too. The and I, you know, we mentioned it in passing. Um, what do you, what kind of uh, wisdom or ideas or thinking do you have to share about cybersecurity? And it's just, I feel like it's always been in the top three with CIOs. You worry about leadership and innovation and security. Uh, that's, and of course, all of that in the context of how your business is doing. Um, is there anything pre or post pandemic that has essentially risen higher up your list your own strategic CIO type list about what you pay attention to or what you want to do with it. And I know you won't get specific. We don't oh, want to, no. we don't want to draw any targets on you or anything no. like that, but. No, I can tell you this. It's almost simple. Assume you have the ability to be compromised. Mm -hmm. Assume that. Just 
right out of the gate that there's something in your overall infrastructure, your points of access, where you can be compromised. Yes. If you work from that perspective, right, where I've got a hole, I just got to look for it. I got to find it. Right. That's the right place to be, as opposed to thinking, yeah. I've got everything locked down. There is no way anyone can infiltrate my, my environment because I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. If you're running a SaaS platform, is it possible that SaaS platform can be compromised? Do you have IPR on that SaaS platform? Are all of your clients locked down? Meaning that can, can your employees install software on those clients? If they can't, that's another potential area for someone to hack. People are working from home now, right? Yes. So they have their computer on and logged into your network and walk away. And they have kids of all different ages who might get use their computers unknowingly, right? And either go on sites or install software, do other things, maybe not maliciously, but could create another way for someone to backdoor into your environment. So yeah. I take the, the mindset that, hey, I can be compromised. I probably have a hole somewhere and then start putting your teams to focus on looking for those holes. That's the I would take. Mm -hmm. uh, assuming that, hey, we've got firewalls and we got this and we got that and we've got all these policies because I found that policies are nothing but paper and, and ink. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Because there are times where we have a policy. Yeah. People violate policies, again, sometimes unknowingly a lot. And you've got to see that there's an issue there. And sometimes, and I was thinking, especially with engineers and with computer scientists, they might look at a policy forbidding something as a challenge, you know. <laughs> and worse, actually. How do we work around worse? <laughs> worse because they're smart, right? Yeah. And they don't need the traditional IT folks to help them, right? So, oh, right. I, I know what to do. I can configure my own computer. I can do my own yeah. stuff. I can install my own software. <laughs> Oh, I, oh, wait, wait a minute. I can use the guest Wi-Fi to do this, to do that, to do that. So you know, there's all kinds of stuff that engineers do that can create some problems for you. Well, and I know one of the ways that you have worked to kind of harness all that wonderful engineering energy, as it were, is with uh, essentially your innovation ecosystem. I'm always interested in how CIOs are managing and running that. And you have an innovation platform that you've launched it. And it's not just for IT or just for those engineers. You know, it's for everyone in the company. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. You have a yearly event where everybody submits and all. And so how, uh, what is this innovation platform and what has it done for you lately? There, there are actually two, sep we have two now. We have one that we run in MANA, which is North market area in North America, where once a year we have, a, we have an innovation contest where mm -hmm. groups get together uh, and they come up with ideas and then they present them in a form. Uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big deal for us. Right. And, and your idea, if selected, could not only be uh, uh, brought to fruition, but in some instances, some people have actually had companies spun off from their innovative ideas wow. and they get to participate so as yeah. in those organizations. Uh, so it's, it's really a big thing for us. Uh, every year we do this. But now at an IT level, uh, we have a platform we've just implemented. As a matter of fact, a month ago, excuse me where we looking to our IT team members to innovate. So those are, uh, I, I don't want to give the, the, the vendor props here, but there's a vendor product that we're using uh, and, and we're using that internally within our own IT group 
to innovate. And, and like I gave you that example of that gentleman on my team that came up with that idea to help our users, we have a lot of that happening, right? So a lot of the things that are coming out of our IT group now are either coming through this innovation platform where you, they go through the cycle, they're vetted, and then mm -hmm. ultimately the goal is to come out of the other end where someone says, this is really worth us spending time and money on, and then they fund it and they go forward and they develop it and deliver it to the organization. So we've got two ways of, of working right now. Some are the, the ones that are happening internal uh, here in MANA, uh, it's a combination of some of its customer-facing innovation, some mm -hmm. of its internal, internal stakeholder innovation, and that's for the entire company, not just for IT. Then we have a separate internal group IT, the 2,000 plus uh, employees that we focus on IT-specific innovations using this platform. So, you know, we have a lot of things that are going on. That's one of the things that we are not, we don't lack out is innovation. There's tons of new ideas every day. Uh, yeah. I can tell you, it makes a guy like me who's been doing this for so long, sometimes you go, man, maybe I wish I was born now right? <laughs> because there's so many things going on now that, that I would like to be involved in that now, you know, you're on the tail end. So you just kind of sit back and you watch and say, that's a great idea. Let's go ahead and innovate it. I can't wait to see it get delivered kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know. You may, you know, instead of that commute time that you used to have to spend, you may wake up one morning and have one of those innovation ideas all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll spin out the Tony Caesar company from that, and then you know you'll 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 be a millionaire, or a billionaire, right? Um, the and and thinking about too about the talent that goes into that, and encouraging people that culture that gets people to step forward with their ideas. Let's also talk about um, diversity and equity and inclusion. That has been uh, with the topics like empathy. Um, and the ESG, the environmental societal governance, the attention that's being paid, not just by CIOs and their CEO bosses, but boards of directors as well. And um, I know that you are involved uh, for some months now in uh, co-chairing a new group within the company. Talk a little bit about that, about what, you know, how Ericsson is approaching the whole D E and I, everything has so many acronyms uh, these days, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. So look, I, I would tell you that um, I've worked for a lot of companies in my career. Mm -hmm. D and I, D E and I has never been top of mind in those organizations, right? For whatever reason, good, bad, or indifferent. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. Ericsson has a totally different approach. Uh, they are they are super focused on diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, they uh, they supported way before I started, mm -hmm. probably four years ago, the advent of what we'll call ERGs, ERGs, Ericsson Resource Groups, which were okay. different groups that aligned with different needs. One is yes. African American Alliance. You had uh, the Asian Society, Latinos Plus. You had Women We uh, Group. You had uh, LGBT Plus Q Plus. So you had all these ERGs that that Ericsson supported. Right. Yep. And they actually supported it even financially where these groups respond and and these teams were focused on their constituents, so to speak, to in, yes. improve the lives of their constituents within the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, a year ago, uh, post the George Floyd uh, uh, incident, mm -hmm. our CEO uh, here locally in the, in the United States was so impassioned about that. And he felt that he wanted to do more. Uh, and he put his money where his mouth is, and he actually funded now a D&I group. So we have now within our organization mm -hmm. a diversity and inclusion group. And yeah. their purpose is to do just that, right? In 
continue working on ensuring that there's diversity, equity, and inclusion within Ericsson. Uh, and they've got a bunch of programs that they're working now with external mm -hmm. NGOs, with non-governmental organizations, sponsors. We have a lot of different activities ongoing internal where we're looking at our recruiting process, our end-to-end -end recruitment process. We also do a lot, of, a lot of things with universities. We've got a lot of programs where we're looking at bringing in uh, uh, diverse candidates from universities into internship programs during the summer mm -hmm. and then trying to convert those interns into actual full-time employees at the end of their, when they graduate out of school. So there's several major programs that we have ongoing. Uh, but the one thing I would tell you, and I say this because uh, I just said it this week, it's not a it's not a sprint. It's a it's a, a marathon. Yep. Right. This stuff doesn't change overnight. You won't yep. get, you know, dramatic changes in 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 even this organization that's so vested into doing this. Uh, in that now global has latched onto this. Right. Global now has created a global DNI organization, and not right. all of this happened within a year. Yeah. And we're now really focused on not just Mana North America. We're looking at doing this globally, right? And how do we create a more diverse uh, and inclusive organization across the whole? So uh, I'm encouraged. Actually, I'm really excited. Uh, it's one of my passions right now. Yeah. Uh, as an IT leader, you know, sometimes it, it's good to be able to come out of that IT space and focus on some cultural things, right? That we yeah. are going to make a difference in. So uh, yeah. I'm all in on that right now. Well, and I, it's funny, I, I don't tend to think of you as an IT leader who's all about technology <laughs> anyway. So I do think that this seems like it's right up your alley to be uh, deeply involved with that and that you wouldn't get involved with something that was just, you know, um, one of those press release kind of organizations. Um, and I just increasingly these days when I talk with CIOs, if we get into that conversation about <clears throat> it's so hard to find talent. I've been tending to ask lately, well, what kind of high school, college internship programs are you running? What sort of outreach are you doing? Are you connecting with STEM programs and that sort of thing? And it's, I feel like it's much more authentic. I feel like you, you earn the right to complain about the talent shortage if you're doing all those things and still not being able to find the talent you need. But it doesn't it doesn't sound like that has been a problem for you at Ericsson. So congratulations well, on that. There's talent. There's, there's lots of it. The, the mm -hmm. question is, how do you get that talent to want to work for you versus one of the other, you know, big tech companies? Because there's quite a few of them. So there's a lot of competition for the talent and even keeping the talent that you have. Yeah, right? because again, that's the other side of the equation where you've got to make it so competitive uh, and culturally competitive that people want to remain where they are and yeah. not just you know jump ship overnight kind of thing. So right. it's an ongoing thing, and it's it's all about people, right? Yeah. Our jobs as leaders, right? It's about people, and if you forget that, then you've lost the battle already. It's about people. Yes. Well, and that that brings us right back to where we started when we started talking about disruption and how it matters and how to address it. You have to take it from the people aspect. So thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. It has been it has been great. I've really enjoyed talking at length with you this way. And I, I hope we got to everything on our list. I feel like we did. I think we did. Thank you for having me. And to the audience out there, I hope that you got value out of your hour. Because yeah. I know how hard it is to sometimes find an hour yes. to, to dedicate to something like this. So I hope you got value from it. And uh, I enjoyed it, Mary Fran. I enjoyed it very much. 
Great. Well, so did I, Tony. Thank you so much. And if you joined us late today, don't worry. You can watch the full episode later today right here on LinkedIn, and you can also find it on CIO.com and on our IDG Tech Talk channel on YouTube. CIO Leadership Live is available also as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed and got as much out of today's conversation with Tony Caesar as I did, and that you'll join us for our next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which is coming up in two weeks on Wednesday, October 6th. And I'll be joined again at noon Eastern by Ed, Eddie, Edward Wagoner, who is the Chief Digital Officer at JLL. Thanks again to Tableau for sponsoring this episode, and do take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube uh, channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all of our previous shows. Stay well, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.